Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, April the 3rd. It is the fifth Sunday of Lent. And we continue in our, um, through our itinerary as we travel this Lenten journey. So far, we've gone to a desert, to a mountain, a well, a pool, and today to a tomb. Another familiar text from the life and ministry of Jesus. Today we'll be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. I'm, I'm reading this from the NIV translation. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister. And Mary was the one who was anointed uh, the Lord, who anointed the Lord with perfume and, and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, accordingly, accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus after Having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you, are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who um, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Excuse me. Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is not dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So we're going to pause here for just a second as as we'll kind of go through uh, certain verses and then and then talk about them. You know, it's interesting that Lazarus is introduced to us through his sisters rather than the other way around. This this family was apparently well known to the original audience of John's gospel. Verse two mentions another story about them that won't happen until the following chapter. The aroma of perfume and the smell of death are are closely linked in these two stories. And they're framed by another story, one that contrasts those who believe in Jesus with the religious leaders who are becoming more and more threatened by Jesus and the sign of God's power working in him. Just before heading to Bethany, Jesus left Jerusalem under the threat of being stoned. And after he raises Lazarus, the, the religious leaders will, well, they're going to conspire in, in earnest to kill Jesus. And, and no wonder Thomas tells the other disciples, we might as well go to, so we can all die with him. You see, Jesus is clear about his purpose from the very beginning. Everything he does has one goal, to glorify God. It may seem cruel to have let Lazarus linger two more days. 
But Jesus had a reason for waiting to set out for Bethany. And this final miracle would surpass the signs that Jesus had already performed. For, for those who still question whether or not he was the Messiah, this final act needed to be definitive. But his decision to wait certainly caused a lot of pain, a lot of suffering among his disciples, and even more for Mary and Martha. So returning to the, to the text, picking up verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Terry Peterson Um, writes this. She says, in the tradition at that time, it was believed that the spirit of a person finally departed on the third day after death. So on the fourth day, when the funeral was over and the finality of death was starting to settle in for Mary and Martha, Jesus comes to visit. The fourth day, the first day that it was really real, that there was no chance that Lazarus was simply sleeping, no chance that this was just simply a bad dream. Both Martha and Mary meet Jesus with the same words, if you had been here. How often have we used those words? Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you had come when I asked, Lord, life hurts and I asked for help and I feel like you left me out here to suffer. Lord, it's, it's too late. The grief is here to stay. The door is shut. The tomb is sealed. Have we ever felt abandoned by God? We can be honest. Has God's apparent absence in our life made us grieve? And and yet God was waiting for me. When Martha tells Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's hard to tell if she is confessing her faith in Jesus and his power to heal. Or if she's accusing him of neglecting his friend. Either way, Jesus tells her, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he challenges her. Jesus asks Martha if she believes. It's interesting that John always puts this word into its active verb form. John doesn't talk about belief as a noun, but always as what Jesus asks us to do. And this time, Martha's statement is clearly this affirmation of faith. Yes, Lord, she tells him, despite all indications to the contrary, (laughs) I believe that you are the Messiah. Picking back up with verse 28. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. 
And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And and they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. In a couple of weeks, another Mary will ask the same question as she looks into an empty tomb. She will weep as Jesus does now. But here in this, in this long passage of scripture, the most profound verse is even shorter than the, than, the, than the NRSV version shows. The old King James may be more accurate. Jesus wept. But why did Jesus weep? Those around him assumed it was for sorrow and at the loss of his friend. But Jesus knew before he had ever headed out to Bethany that he would be raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus wept not because he had lost a friend, but because the scene around him was full of chaos, full of the very suffering he had come to eliminate once and for all. Hope for the resurrection had been displaced by the havoc of sin and death. And those who accompanied Jesus to the tomb didn't understand what, that Jesus wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He was weeping for them. The scripture continues, verse 38. Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried aloud with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Death stinks. There is no getting around it. Imagine waking up in that cave, wrapped tightly in cloth, unable to pull the covering off your own face because your hands are still bound. It's dark and it stinks in there. And what you smell is your own rotting flesh that somehow isn't rotting anymore. But the stench is still hanging in the cave around you. And then you hear this familiar voice muffled, But easy to recognize, your dearest friend is calling to you to come out. 
You, you don't even know which direction the door is or how to get to it. But you, you wriggle around enough to get up and you, and you inch your way toward the light. And as you trip over yourself, struggling to get free, there's, there's a gasp from the crowd that is gathered outside the cave. They are surprised to see you as you are to be there. And then you must decide. Do you fall back into the tomb or do you step out into the unknown? Because what lies ahead is completely new territory. No one has ever done this before. No one has ever been completely, unquestionably dead and then been called back to life after being buried in a tomb for four days. But here you are and you stumble forward. That voice you love says, unbind him, unbind her. Let them go. And the bandages slowly come off and you can see Jesus standing there, tears streaming down his face, welcoming you back to life. Verse 45 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Death stinks. There's no getting around it. But here's the thing. We can't experience resurrection until we experience death. We can't accept new life in Jesus Christ until we allow our old sinful lives to end. What do we need to let die so that we can come out of our tomb? What binds us to death? What prevents us from living abundantly, fully, as a new creation? Whatever keeps us wrapped up in a dark cave of of pride, of hatred, of lust, of greed, or deceit, or, or whatever stinks in our life, we can hear the voice of Jesus calling to us in a loud voice, come out of there. And then we have to decide, do we fall back into the tomb or do we step out into the unknown? Because what lies ahead is completely new territory. And it sounds like a duh statement, but it's not. Because you see, when when faced with the unknown or the pain of, of what we do know, We so often choose the pain of what we do know. It's why women who are abused by their spouses often stay until it's too late. Because the fear of the unknown is greater than the fear of what we do know. And yet there is Jesus. Come out. Come out of there. Come into this new territory. But here's the beauty of this. We don't have to go there alone. When Lazarus stepped out of the tomb, there were friends right there to help him get out of his grave clothes, to support him, to love him, to gently unwrap him. That is what this community of faith church is for, to help each of us get unbound. And what about our church, this tiny church here on this beautiful knoll in the mountains here in Banner Oak, North Carolina. What do we need to let die so that we as a family, a congregation can experience new life in Christ? What binds us so tightly 
not positive, not in a positive way, but what binds us so tightly that we can't move forward? What shroud keeps us from seeing the neighbors around us? What prevents us from experiencing the resurrection? So here we are, as we stumble forward, that voice we love says, come out of there, get unbound. We are stepping into this new territory. But Jesus is right there waiting for us. Amen. And God bless.